Paul. We bought a mic. We bought squishy mic. Smell of intro theme. Mm. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to We Bought yeah, a Mic. I was say, I'll answer I... after your <laughs> intro. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Do your? Are you not going to do it? You're going to skip it this week? You mean We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast? Mm, no, that's... a healthy mix of fun banter and careful critical analysis. I think that's it. I think. I don't know. It's becoming a little bit too rehearsed. Yeah, it's like it's I need you to good. cut that shit off. We need to add some more words to that. I liked it when it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast got bad when it got good. Yeah, yeah. We're people only hate listen to us before. We're 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 getting a little too structured. So let's mm. let's just throw the script out. Yeah. Let's crumple up this piece of paper yeah. that we call our lives. Uh, let's get chaotic. Today like Joker. we're talking mustard, <laughs> talking mayo, talking stirred relish. I made some ranch, homemade ranch. Anyone tried to do that before? Oh, that sounds. Um, Don't yeah. try it at let, home. Let me know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are again. It's the boys. It's me, Ernest, and I, I, I'm Hunter, Drew, or should I say, Arthur. <laughs> Uh, we're just talking. <laughs> a- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it hasn't ended yet. It's Drew, still happening. Drew just saw Joker. Yeah. So I did. if you listen to our review already, you know that um, he has been activated into yeah. the underground Occupy Gotham movement. Yeah, as we all Occupy seventies <laughs> New York. I mean, definitely Gotham. Um, as we all know, the underclass is pretty much just as bad as incels are. Like that's the. Message. It's all the same, man. <laughs> Anyone riding in the street is just a dumb, bad person, and the rich are good, and we love them. But mm, in this that's, episode, that's the motivation. We're not talking Joker. We're talking ketchup, and we have a couple things to get into, um, including. Some movies and some shows, yeah. but I want to start out with a little music. Okay, I listened to an album this week and I haven't been able to stop listening to it. Mm-hmm. And it's Danny Brown's. Know what I'm saying? Is that what's called? Yeah, oh. it's it's like all one word. Mm. You know, all yeah. lowercase, very stylized no, with same. like an upside down question mark. Yeah, it's oh. a cool little cool little album cover. Um, I haven't listened it is to this yet. But very good. His last album was an absolute banger. Mm. His all of his albums before that, frankly, were all good. I mean, this, this is, is good. Good guy. Yeah, this is the follow up to 2016's Atrocity Exhibition, which which was, which was a wild album. Yeah, honestly, oh. I wasn't super into that album, but it's still a great album. Uh, I mean, that's where Really Doe is from, and um, a couple other okay. Um, good tracks. That so, that album had a very kind of industrial kind of experimental sound to it. This one isn't really that at all. Mm. It's actually more in line with uh, his older work, like XXX and old. Uh, but it it do- it doesn't feel like a like a retread or a step back or anything like that. It feels very forward facing. It's actually executive produced by Q Tip. Mm. He's all over this thing. And a lot of the songs sound very Tribe Called Quest-ish, which I love. We like those guys. Yeah. I'll say it first. Um, So, I mean, Q-Tip isn't on every single track. Is he doing vocals anywhere? A little bit. Yeah, he kind of pops in and out. There's one song that um, also has Fly Low and Thundercat on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And JPEG Mafia. And a song with Run the Jewels. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, I haven't had a chance to listen to this whole album, but I have listened to the singles from it, specifically um, Three Tears. That's the Run the, the Jewels one. Uh, Best Life was another one. I think Dirty Laundry. Okay. Dirty Laundry Dirty is a such banger. a good song. It's, a it's got like this guitar lick to it, um, and it's almost kind of like in a major key. 
which is weird for Danny Brown because his stuff is kind of very dark and moody. Mm. And I don't know. There's a quality to this album that has almost, almost like a poppy sound to it. I'm not. It's not anywhere close to being a pop album, but it is very listenable. Obviously, you know, his voice is super fucking weird, mm, but so yeah. it's not like he's changing that up at all. You guys teeth fixed for this one. Yeah. And his hair. Yeah. He cut his hair. Yeah. He looks like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And the sound of the album is kind of in line with that. It's like kind of feels like a new little reimagining for himself. Uh, but it's just super tight. It's only 33 minutes. It's got this heavy uh Tribe Called Quest, kind of laid back feel to it. Uh, very listenable. A uh, lot of guitars and live drums. It's it's just a very impressive record. I, I really, really recommend it. It doesn't feel like a hard-to-stomach type of thing. I, I think Atrocity Exhibition was very ambitious, mm-hmm. but it was it was a lot. It was a lot to get into. A uh, lot of weird sounds, and this one there is like a griminess to it, um, a, a murkiness, but it, it does surface as something much more approachable. So I really, really recommend it. Uh, if you've if you've been a fan of Danny Brown, I was a huge fan of Old. Uh, I don't know about I you guys, but oh, yeah. that was like one of my favorites. Thirty, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you are a fan of Danny Brown, this is not a huge left turn, but if you're not. It's a good starting off point because, it, it again, it just it just has like this much more listenable quality to it. There's some there's some earworms in here. Dirty Laundry is like my go to track right now, but I've been kind of jumping in all over this thing. It's only eleven tracks. I am curious. So does it sound like kind of a big left turn from Atrocity Exhibition because that album was very like you said industrial and it seemed very it seemed like that was going to be the hard turn for him yeah so is this more of like a course correction or no, does he incorporate no, some like, of those sounds like or? I like I said earlier it doesn't sound like any type of re like step back or anything like that that or retread it just seems like he wanted to do something that was going to have a little bit more of a broader appeal without kind of betraying the sound that he's been known for thus far. So you do get a lot of those same electronic bass sounds, those boops and beeps here and there. Uh, but, Love me some boops and beeps. But uh, there's just enough kind of traditional instruments like guitars and drums in there to keep it much more approachable. So you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm really, really digging it. It's quickly rising up my list. Uh, I think it might make my top 10 of the year. I really, Ooh, really love okay. it. I really need to check it it's out. It's really good, Big guys. Um, yeah, that's the new Danny Brown. I got one more thing to talk to you all about, and it's a little movie called Under the Silver Lake. Have you heard of this? Yeah, uh, yeah. We were uh, we were talking a little bit off mic about the troubled production before this. Originally, it was slated to come out June 22nd, 2018. Mm-hmm. Then it premiered at Cannes to... Mixed but pretty positive reviews. A24 wasn't happy with the cut. They recut it, and it was set to be scheduled for December 7th. That was a like very panned cut of the movie. And then finally it got released April of this year. But only on VOD. But straight to VOD. Yeah, Did so not it was get kinda, a theatrical release. There was no marketing campaign. There was no push. Nothing. It just kind of got dumped online. Um, and it's crazy because, like... We I keep a, a document of like all of the things that we have coming up that we could talk about on the show. That's been and on I, it for like the entirety of the <laughs> podcast. I had I had a, this movie on there for a while and it kept getting pushed back. And I was thinking, like, is it going to be in theaters? How are we going to see this? Is someone else going to pick it up like a Netflix or something? And then it just kind of never came out. And then, oh, yeah, this thing's streaming right now on Amazon Prime without any fanfare. Um, so this movie is uh, directed by, I believe his name is David Mitchell, mm-hmm. and that's the guy who made It Follows, which was a very critically acclaimed indie horror movie. movie. I never Good saw movie. it, yeah. Um, but this is his follow-up, and it's wholly original, written and directed by this guy, but it's obviously based on uh, this old form of filmmaking from like the Hitchcock era you know this kind of more 
uh, classical Hollywood type of of um, of movie. And it's without giving too much away. It's essentially Andrew Garfield plays a guy who believes that there is a kind of conspiracy underling uh, meaning to everything and that there are hidden codes and everything's connected and he there's keeps, a he keeps seeing the number 23 and everything right? kind of something like that <laughs> yeah um so the movie is fucking bizarre yeah it is long it is like two and a half hours long i believe woof um so it is it's not for everyone uh-huh. but it is very fascinating. It is very fascinating because it does pull from all of these uh, th- these imagery things and themes from older movies. There are like straight like shot recreations from old Marilyn Monroe movies, and it taps into these themes about like what Hollywood is, like kind of the underbelly of Los Angeles and and how it treats women and how it treats people in general. So it does kind of tackle some really weighty themes and it's just unlike any other movie right now. I mean, it's it's a fucking trip and Andrew Gar- Garfield's performance is pretty fucking good. Like this is a good actor. He hasn't been around. He's a great actor. He got he got kind of shafted by he, uh Spider-Man a little well, bit. Well, he went he made the superhero turn too early. I think more than that, even it's and just that he has the frame of a permanent teenager, and so once he, you know, enters his like thirties, mm-hmm. it, it's he doesn't look. I mean, like he a could type. have been a great if Marvel would have acquired Spider-Man a few years earlier. He would have made a great. Oh yeah, Spider-Man. Like I, I love him. I don't think that that's like responsible for any of his issues. I really just think that he's like a, this wiry, skinny guy that is great as a teen, and now he's not a teen anymore. So he, it's a little bit harder to cast him, despite his talent. Yeah, you know what I mean. And his character in this movie is is an interesting one for him to play because he's he's a pretty good looking dude. You know, mm. he's like a, a yeah. He's not like daddy status, but he's like. He's like a hunk-ish. In my circles, he absolutely is. If this was the 80s, then he could still play a teenager. Because that's how (laughs) Paul And in this movie, his character is like a creep. Like, he is so creepy. He's like ogling women, like staring at their asses. Pretty much like a straight-up asshole kind of guy. Okay. Um, Where's the butt? No, there oh. there is no but. He's, he's just, just like a, a chat or what is he like? He's a- just a weird dude. He's like, I, I I don't even know what to say. It's just an uncomfortable movie to to watch. More of an incel than a chad. He's More a, of a joker. But like he's a he's he's, he's attractive. Yeah, but he's no, not no, getting no, laid. He's not gets, if no, you're not getting laid, you're simply not. No, a he chad. does get laid. Oh well, then there like you go. yeah, he he. There are sex scenes in the film. Is he looking at girls' butts while he has sex with them? Uh, yes, because I gotta no. say I kind of don't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit okay. He's like with he's that. objectifying these women while he's inside of them. <laughs> he's in a strip club just staring yeah. at them. No, he's a he's a horny dude. He's a pervy dude. Yeah, I have heard a little bit of not not like canceled ish pushback, but just pushback in terms of uh, women didn't really enjoy this movie more than anything. Yeah, I mean, w- women is... were kind of like this is a movie for young male movie fans. There is something to be said about like the fact that the movie is kind of commenting on Hollywood's tendency to do this to women. But and it does it? Yeah, it, it, it kind of does. Like, there's one scene... Oh, my God. Fucking Topher Grace is in this movie oh, in, a, yes. in a small role. And his... I'm in. His entire role is to kind of, like, verbalize this theme of, like, how, you know, society is this... This cesspool of perversion <laughs> you know kind of that that sort of deal and there's a there's a scene where Topher Grace uh, whips out a drone and he's using the drone to like spy on women from outside their window very cool and is he, he playing Topher Grace is he playing himself <laughs> he flies the drone to this rich lady's house and he's and he's like oh yeah this is a good one I I stalk her pretty uh, pretty <laughs> frequently and she walks into frame and the the drone is like you know, creeping, and she starts to undress, and she sits down on her bed, and she just starts sobbing, mm. and that's the scene. It's like you think you're gonna get this sensual, erotic scene, and it's like no, this woman is obviously uh, not okay. 
and the 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 scene just kind of ends there. So there mm-hmm. are these moments where you are kind of led down this path and then the movie takes a different turn. It's it's a very meandering film. If you're into that sort of thing, I I kind of put together a little list of movies that it remind me of like this type of storytelling that it's like searching for a narrative mm-hmm. you know kind of mm-hmm. kind of like leftover season three where mm-hmm. like every character is like i was trying gonna to say find their that story. is more of like a tv thing a lot of the time yeah but i mean leftover season three is like glorious perfection in my opinion <laughs> but other movies kind of like in this vein are adaptation yeah synecdoche sure. new york inherent vice uh, this is compliments so far mulholland drive mm. uh burning from last oh, year God. so it's not it, in my opinion it's not as good as any of those movies i mean those are top tier though yeah but uh what i said in my letterbox review if uh it's like this movie's like what if brad pitt and francis mcdormand's characters from burn after reading were a horny pervy stalker la asshole <laughs> if that sounds good to you <laughs> and you want a movie that is like original and trippy and just kind of way way out there this is the movie for you. It's it's a gorgeous mess. It's it's all over the place, but there's nothing else like it. Okay. Well, I mean, to that point, I watched another movie that does kind of meander and the plot is a little bit secondary. Um, but I think for this, it actually worked to its benefit. And that's a movie that came out this year called The Souvenir. Um, new film a from, lot of good buzz New about film this. from Joanna Hogg. I don't really know what I was expecting going into this movie, but it was not at all what I got. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought this was a period piece movie, and it kind of is, but it's like 80s London, not like... Because some of the screenshots, of course, they do go to like castles and shit like that. Just I mean, because England doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's, England only existed in the 1800s. <laughs> um, but uh, it's very much just about kind of this toxic romance between these two people um it's a semi-autobiographic story about joanna hogg about a relationship that she was in um when she was in film school the main person who we follow uh julie played by honor swinton byrne who i've never Mm, seen in anything before she was exceptional like really truly carried this movie tilda swinton's daughter right yes yeah um her and uh, Tom Burke is the the love interest, uh, kind of this skeezy dude. He's in Only God Forgives. Um, he's a little British dude in that, but he's like kind of this struggling addict. But it's it's a very it's a very complicated movie about relationships because it does they're very clearly not in a good relationship with each other, but he does just enough to like encourage her like pursuing her art and like tries to keep her on the right track and everything else and it does a good job where there's a lot of people who are going to see this movie it's funny looking at the splits uh, just because i have it pulled up on google here 90 percent rotten tomatoes 90 percent fandango 46 percent of people like this movie on google it's not a movie for most people because i feel like most people watch it and like halfway through you're like screaming like just fucking dump him just dump him (laughs) And it's more complicated than that. Um, like I said, this is a very meandering plot. For a while, I almost thought that this it was shot out of order, like there was time jumps or anything like that. And I, I think that it's almost made you're you're kind of led along this trail where you don't really know what place in time you are. Um, I mean, I guess this movie could work on multiple interpretations, but because there isn't much of a narrative structure that's really happening, you're just seeing these two characters uh, together. It's very personal. If anything, it might be like a little bit too personal. I feel like I was kind of peeling back the the curtain on a person's life. Uh, It feels very, very vulnerable at times, um, which works to its benefit and then also it can work a little bit to its detriment at certain points um overall i still really really enjoyed this movie it kind of it actually reminded me a lot of last black man san francisco another movie this year very deeply personal about this story where if anything it does feel a little bit too personal it feels like you're too close to these characters um that's probably the closest connection i'd say that if you are a fan of that movie then you'll probably like this one as well um there's a little bit more of a narrative structure in Last Black Man, San Francisco, uh, or at least that, that at stylized? least a metaphorical. Uh, I will. Say, it doesn't it has a different style to it, but it is very stylized with the filmmaking. Uh, and it's 
truly beautiful. Um, there's one moment in particular because I this relationship that they're having together, it's very draining for both of them uh, being in this kind of situation. And she's trying to make it as like a film director. And there's one point when they're on a scene and she's like trying to like get a shot the certain way that she wants and just like stumbles into the light fixture and they're like, God damn it, no, we gotta set all these lights back up and everything. Um, um but by the way, Honor Swinton Byrne is in fact the daughter of Tilda. Yeah. IRL. Yeah, yeah. Did you say that already? Yeah, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Cut out when Hunter says thanks it. For, <laughs> thanks for fact-checking my fact that I already said. Um, so there was really good, Tilda Swinton. John Byrne. Tilda Swinton is Not David in, Byrne? Yeah. Tilda Swinton is in this movie. She plays, uh, she plays the mother. Um, really good. Super British. Um, so, like, if you're a fan of kind of a little bit, like, very slow British drama, um, then I think you'll be a fan of this movie. So, I've, I have a question and a comment. Okay. Question. They're working on a sequel. How does it does it approach that, is, that, that in is, any way? Like just from what you've said, that is very surprising that they would make yeah, a sequel. Yeah, I didn't even know that they were making a sequel Such until a I just pulled this project. up a minute ago. But that's uh, bizarre. It is like would you see Does it, it leave off on some <sighs> sort of cliffhanger? Type? Well, not really, but like I said, there isn't really much plot to begin with here. Would you so watch it could just be a continuation of the story. Would you watch the sequel? Um yeah, I would check it out just okay. because, I mean, I'm interested in Joanna Hogg and whatever she does left. I mean, she mostly just does smaller British movies. I mean, this movie only had a $1 million. It only made a million dollars at the box office. Like, this was not a big movie at all. And the, the comment I had is that there is an episode of the A24 podcast mm -hmm. with Joanna Hogg and um, enemy of Marvel Studios, Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting those two together because uh, Scorsese, I mean, both of them very character-driven, but Scorsese can be very heavy on his plot to the point of like stuffing as much story into a movie as possible as three and a half hours will permit. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, I haven't had a chance to listen to that. You know, it's, it's surprising yet, that the way you describe that, like it's surprising that he doesn't like Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I definitely recommend this movie. Uh, it's on VOD things on your Google plays and your Amazons mm -hmm. and voodoos and all that good stuff. Some nice uh, stay home at the movies recommendation from We Bought a Mic this week. Oh, yeah. also uh, another shout out to this guy, Drew. I think this is a comedian that you've actually shout out before. I know he's in the movie Submarine. Uh, Richard Iowati Iowati is in this movie of uh, as another IT fellow crowd. film yeah, student. That yeah, guy. yeah. He's, I mean, he's great. Is he trying to break into dramatic acting? Well, he, yeah, he always. I mean, was he into kind it. of has a bit. This really, like, this entire movie hinges on Honor Sweat and Burns' performance. Like, pretty much, almost every single frame of this movie is on her. Um, he's in Paddington too. Yeah, yeah, he is I in mean, Paddington he, too. He tried to make a big American push when he did the uh, watch, the watch. You oh, know? the movie that got shut down. Yikes. by uh, Yeah, did the Trayvon Martin. <laughs> Oh shit. Yeah. Oh man. R.I.P. Trayvon. Damn. Yeah. Just like people in 9-11, you know. Fuck. The watch and <laughs> Trayvon Martin. Um another movie, a ben little Stiller bit. Did Trayvon Martin. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> another movie a little bit on the lighter side. Uh a new documentary, a new HBO doc, uh, and that is Diego Maradona. Um mm -hmm. this movie, it takes place um. It's. I will say it's directed by uh, Asif Kapadi. Asif Kapadi. I believe I'm saying his name correctly. He uh, directed the Oscar-winning documentary Amy a few years ago about Amy Winehouse. Oh. Um, this was kind of his follow-up project, Diego Maradona. It is. It does my favorite things with documentary filmmaking, which it just uses archival footage, and then they'll have in. Uh, a mix of interviews between that happened like in the moment and then also other interviews from current cool. versions, but it's all voiced over the archival footage. There's not a single talking head. No narration. No narration. That's no, you cool. don't hear his voice at all, which the last documentary I saw was um, Apollo the, 11. No, I haven't seen Apollo. Oh, dude. No, the last one I saw was the Hulu documentary about the magician, which uh, I, I hated <laughs> oh, yeah. that because... That and I was actually listening to a documentary uh, or a podcast, I should say, with uh, Asif Kapadi, and he was talking about how um, his least favorite thing in documentary is uh, when the documentarian makes the movie about himself. And I was mm. like, "Thank you, yeah, that's the least interesting part of this." Um, 
Anyways, getting sidetracked, talking shit about that movie again. Uh, I won't even say the name of it. Um, it's called Jonathan. Fahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> um, so this, it takes place uh, in 19, from like ni- mid-1980s into mid-1990s. Pretty much whenever Maradona was um, sold from Barcelona to Napoli. And it this is just the years that he had in Naples. Oh. And one thing that's amazing about this is because one Napoli uh, at the time was kind of the like shit show of the Italian football league mm. um, at the time in the 80s 90s in Italy and even still a little bit today mass racism uh, oh, from yeah. northern Italians against I'm part Italians. Italian so I can say Italians are so goddamn racist yeah it's, uh, it's real I mean I know uh, Gaia a uh, friend of the pod her uh, stepmother is Sicilian and like her grandfather had to flee away from Sicily because they mm. would just like come and like vandalize like break into their house and vandalize yeah. their it's stuff her and grandfather it's... Robert De Niro yes in, um, the, Godfather in the, uh, the Irishman oh. um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> wildly racist over there I also um, I don't know if I'm he's, Italian <laughs> she, he's Robert De Niro from the CNN uh, sound bites that's, that's as he's most notable for fuck him um, no, so it's really well done how they make this documentary because they show him not only as this soccer icon, but kind of what was happening in the culture around him, which is some of the best, that's the best sports documentary filmmaking is yeah. expressing not just how important he was for the sport, but how important he was for the people that mm-hmm. were there. Um, it goes through his World Cup win that he had there, and then the second World Cup uh, that was in Italy, where the Argentinian team played the Italian team in oh, Naples wow. and it pretty much like started a civil war yeah. between these two things because you either had to stand behind the hero of the city or your country. Um, did they get, did they get into his fucking handball goal? They, they do. They that do address some, that. That was uh, some ass. Yeah. That was the, that's the thing that people know Maradona. Well, for. I mean, anyone well, that was around then knows him as the greatest soccer player ever though. Yeah. Well, like, I, and I mean, you do see some moments where it's yeah, like, he was Oh my freak. God. Like he, he is a incredible freak. That. And also people in the eighties. And he's upset because of uh, some bad blood between countries. I think <laughs> <laughs> Colombia. I mean, I think it's pretty rivalry. safe to say that Pele is the best soccer player. of all Oh time. shit. All right. Come that's, on. It's not like a Gretzky situation though. It's like, like I mean, pe- like people anytime you're gonna get into this argument is uh, you can just kind of watch any people play uh, soccer back in the day, and you're like, oh, okay, so goalies just like were horrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every goalie bad. is coming outside the box like me playing FIFA, and it's like <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're doing. Well, that's why it's stupid I, to compare anyone across any era because every era is so wildly better than the one before it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a joke. Um, another thing is it does get a little bit into his personal life about how he did kind of have a mistress. He had a really bad cocaine addiction yeah. for a long time didn't everyone got involved then? he got involved in like the italian mafia and shit like it's yeah he's been a bad guy it's a <laughs> amazing documentary it's without a doubt it's definitely gonna be nominated for the best docs uh mm. this year oh wow. i'd be willing i mean especially if you consider the asif his last movie won best Amy documentary won. um this i think is a lot to be nominated it's already made the short list of oscar documentaries um and really, it's on, it's on HBO. It's on right? HBO. Yeah. So if you have HBO, highly, highly recommend it. Even if you're not a big soccer fan, I feel like there's a lot to take out of it. Um, they do. I mean, soccer is simple enough of a sport. It's not like you have. We're not watching like a rugby documentary where they have to explain to you what's happening. Um, and I think that you can kind of, even if you don't know the name, really, even you can still appreciate the impact that he had all over the world. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maradona. Is it Maradona or Diego Maradona? Diego Maradona, uh, which the name is actually very important, talking about Diego versus Maradona and the two personalities that those two have. (gasps) Dr. Diego and Mr. Maradona. Yeah, it's Diego slash Maradona. It's not actually that. Close this out, Drew. What you got? Well, I finished uh, Big Little Lies Season 1. I figured we could do a little spoiler chat, which starts now. Uh, So, I knew... Like I had it spoiled. Who dies? Spoilers. Uh, Spoiler and like, tor- like toward the end, it be- it was becoming pretty apparent anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you like they the show makes you want it. Yeah, like you're yeah. you're really hoping he's he's gonna die. Yeah, like Skarsgård is is despicable in this in this show. It's such a good performance. Uh, it's an unbelievable performance. This show is 
like the lasting legacy of this show in my brain is it's it's the rare show that lets the actors do acting uh which sounds like a given but really most shows do not have time for that and this show actually particularly women uh, are allowed to really act like actual women in this show and it's like so refreshing even though it shouldn't be mm. like this should be a common occurrence in our media but it's mm-hmm. really not like uh reese witherspoon is so goddamn good and you, she your fave um yeah you know what actually i'm gonna say she is um it, maybe that's a down the middle pick but also i want to take into account the fact that she produced this show and she's the one that made it happen she got she kind of corralled the yeah, whole cast she, she she rallied the troops to make this show Hell exist yeah. reese witherspoon is a fucking gamer she is so goddamn rich because she like creates things mm-hmm. um she's like in the pga and whatnot anyway though nicole kidman uh easily the best performance i've ever seen where the accent was so wildly all over the place the whole time <laughs> she was she was my favorite because i mean she, the, the yeah. scenes with the therapist are like the therapist low-key was like also incredible yeah, yeah. I, I think i said on pod she reminded me a lot of Anne dowd uh and like her more smoldering performances minus the cult well, yeah, but like just the the look, the way that she can convey everything with just. Oh well, eyes. you haven't gotten to season two yet, so you don't know about the cult. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, yeah, Nicole Kidman, absolutely incredible. You don't even care that you don't know what country she's from. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I mean, I could just run down the list. Uh, the twist that uh, Skarsgård was also the one that raped. Um, what's the character's name? Uh, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, character. Shailene Woodley. That one I predicted, but it was only like earlier in that episode. <laughs> like uh, Jane, ma- maybe I don't know. Did you guys see that one coming? I actually didn't. I I did not. That was a big shock I think for that me. I I kind of was getting the hint, like earlier on the episode. Like you said, I was starting to kind of put the pieces together and be like, oh, maybe this happened. But then I wasn't really sure. It oh, still yeah. surprised me whenever it actually yeah. Did and well, and twist. then I I enjoyed how that scene was shot. It was it was like, you know, it was almost in a. F- fantastical type of way that like just from Shailene Woodley's face everyone immediately like understands that he's the rapist um I that was like really really good directing uh and the other thing that I called maybe like five minutes before it happened I was like oh he's going off that caution tape uh stairwell like why else has that been in every single episode yeah you know uh it's uh what's it called um Oh, I forgot the term. The revolver that is planted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something like Chekhov's gun. Yeah, it's Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun. stairwell. Some <laughs> some Russian guy. Um, yeah, I mean, this was incredible television. I don't know if I want to watch season two because I do know that it is still good. I have that on plenty of good sources, but I also have on all of those same sources that's not as good. Well, okay, so I will say it really depends on what you liked about Big Little Lies season. I mean, season two isn't as good. The two main reasons to watch season two, though, are for Meryl Streep and Laura Dern. Laura Dern is on it. Like, she's really good. She's kind of a bit part in season one like i even think that she's in every episode of season one but season two you get full laura dern and it is magical I, and f- it's probably might be my favorite meryl street performance i've ever seen her in no way i really it, it like it's I mean, meryl street amazing. at her she's finest. always amazing what's yours mama mia yeah 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 no, actually mama mia too the, the mama, mia too. <laughs> mama, mia, too. <laughs> mama mia too when she's a ghost and is in like one scene like i feel like we forget because yeah. now meryl streep is just like yeah greatest actress ever meryl streep but like you forget she has she's kind of phoned sorry meryl she's kind of phoned it in a little bit the last couple of years because she just gets nominated for like doing like Sneezing. julie and julia and like yeah. <laughs> doing nothing she's this year she's gonna get nominated for a tiktok i think <laughs> Um, and she'll deserve it also. Is she in The Mass Singer? She um, might get nominated for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. Um, <laughs> it's her and David Duchovny. And, what anyway. did you think of Laura Dern? Uh, I mean, she's. it was known already. That's the thing is I, I didn't learn anything new about any of these actresses. It was more of just like, oh, I get to watch them now. I was talking about this uh, the other night with friend of the pod, Colin, about, um, god damn it. Man, I need like a cold brew or something. We, we're doing this. Pod. It's fucking. It's fucking. <laughs> it's 8 like seven thirty. Yeah. <laughs> My Jeopardy's on. No. Uh, th- like the guy who just Mah- Mahershala Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He was before he was anyone. He was in like House of Cards and yeah, he, and even before that. And he was a goddamn scene stealer. And no one, but at the time it was like 2013, 14. You're not necessarily thinking like let's get that guy a movie because we didn't give black people movies that. And even like five years ago, I mean, it took him having like a supporting role in Moonlight to like actually burst onto the movie scene yeah, but he was always so goddamn good and there was something else like 10 years ago like a, another big one that you're like oh yeah that's Mahershala like and he was a scene stealer and like that's I mean we've talked about it before that's why in this like renaissance of black filmmaking all these actors are ready to go like the talent has just been sitting there being wasted mm. that's kind of how I felt watching Big Little Lies because these are all people that obviously are very well known and get plenty of work but it's not the right kind of work. Mm -hmm. Like they, they are not getting enough chances to do exactly this to like do tonal, uh, big, it, it is, it's an app name because they do big little acting. They, they go over the top, but then they also go very small. Well, it's a, it's a soap opera, but mm -hmm. done the, in a prestige. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a platform. tone, tone poem soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking lovely, man. And yeah. the, the, it was all great. Like the writing, the directing, uh, the ocean, really, really good. Mm -hmm. The waves you always deserve think, a Nami. You always think that somebody is going to like drive off that fucking bridge. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's okay. So you were talking about the soap opera part and that's one thing why I still really enjoyed, uh, Big Little Lies season two is because yeah. it really embraces the soap opera affect. And I like that. Like, I like watching, like, Twin Peaks is one of my favorite shows of all time. And that show is, like, so heavy on the soap opera aspect of it. But whenever it's done right, it's better than yeah, pretty much anything. Of course. And this show had an incredible uh, intelligence to it. Like, the way that it was written, these characters speak in ways that we are familiar with instead of, like, the, the true hallmark of a soap opera one of the central th tenets of it is that they don't speak like humans. They speak like superhumans. They speak like idealized versions of people for housewives to watch and, you know, imagine, basically. Uh, this is not like that. This has such a groundedness to it. These are, these are like super moms, but not in a positive way. You know what I mean? Like, and they're not all the same character. Yeah, and there's an emotional honesty and like the supporting roles even are mostly great. Adam Scott, dude, we love to see him. Oh, uh, that that uh, Elvis yeah. costume. Man. Also, big big props to whatever singer they had sing that song because yeah, that was definitely, definitely not Adam not Scott. Adam. Uh, no that way. was wild. Adam Scott will not be on that uh, was the Mass Singer. The worst thing for, about the whole scene, and it was like good singing, but it was just like, well, that is so not. What him. did you think of the uh, kid actors? Um, the little girl, the little boy. So the little the, girl the is doing twins. The little girl is doing a role that we're all very familiar with. She's the overly precocious, like all-knowing little girl who is way she's too smart good at for it. her own good, and she is great at it. Like she's very good at it. The character is almost from another show. I'll say, uh, the twins are just little stinkers the whole time. They don't really do much at all. They that, get a little bit more in season two. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that was another thing that I. I mean, the show. This is how you know it's a good show because you can only predict things like five minutes before they happen when they're probably trying to like lay seeds. Because that's when I figured out that they were the ones who were bullying that girl. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that's this is what's going to make Nicole Kidman leave is she realizes that the kids are getting fucked up from the because dad. Because exactly, yeah. um, it's that whole dynamic is so interesting because you can tell that obviously the kids are growing up in a very abusive house and it's impacting them. Yeah. But the, it, I guess it's Skarsgård's performance, but he's not always monstrous. Like no. there are moments where he is a monster, but there's also moments where he's genuinely being a good father. And it, that's almost, that makes it even more, terrifying well yeah that's that's like the common that's like the worst portrayal ever which is most portrayals of like domestic abuse or abusers in general is that they're just permanently evil mm -hmm. and that's not the case a lot of the time they're dealing with demons and they like they don't even necessarily want to be that way but that excuses none of their behavior i mean just the first episode of this show you see the full range of yeah scars performance where like you are like led to believe that they're just like this perfect couple like that they're so happy together yeah and their relationship and everything they're like this they're both just hot this like perfect <laughs> hot couple down the street and then like there is just all this evil that's lying underneath which is i mean it's a whole metaphor on just kind of the rich suburban culture in general like yeah. whenever you're in a place like monterey which is like 
the wealthiest of the wealthy people. Every yeah. property is beachside property. Yeah. And yeah. Well, the the uh, most similar comparison or the most natural one is like not quite a soap opera, but it is Desperate Housewives mm. because that was a show about rich suburban moms getting wrapped up in like, you know, nefarious scandals and I'm assuming murder. I don't know. I didn't watch it. But that was also a lot more of a comedy and this is a lot more based in reality which means that it comes with the comedy and the tragedy of reality. And I fucking loved it. Like it was truly like I know I'm late here but god damn it's good. Hey, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no no hard feelings. Uh, last couple things. Zoe Kravitz. Um, she didn't do a ton. Just like like she probably had of of all of the characters we mentioned, she probably had the fewest lines. Mm -hmm. Like she just wasn't in it a ton. But I, I enjoyed her pushing. She definitely Scars gets Guard. some more to do in uh, season two. Oh, I, well, uh, some I of it, it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, where her story goes is some of the weakest. Yeah, there's I mean, there's some like weird. They try, have like a supernatural kind of a thing that happens, which uh, is does not so work. I I'm not, I haven't seen a uh, broad enough scope of her work to form a full judgment. But I will say that she she didn't like shine for me in season one and uh gotta gotta stand for our hulk and catch fire alums Catherine newton mm -hmm. she she uh is going places of detective pikachu fame yeah well detective pikachu was great for her because it was her first major role where she wasn't that one person mm -hmm. that one sassy teenage daughter or whatever like she she has range and i know it uh, and I need to see it because she's so she's almost too good at doing and that. she also gets more to do in uh, well, season good. two so season two you know it's not as good but it advances the story in interesting ways doesn't always succeed but I think it's it's worth watching if you truly enjoyed the first yeah. season <sighs> god damn it it's all right. it's only seven episodes yeah. um yeah, it's but how long much. did it take me to watch the first seven? Like <laughs> seven years. Exactly. So I'll get back to you. Okay. I mean, dude, one per we'll, year. We'll talk about it in like 2021. Yeah. It's fine. Um, it's I I will say worst actor in the show. Uh, this is not a joke. Was Reese Witherspoon's ex husband? That guy's not a good actor, <laughs> dude. There's <laughs> that guy's a bad actor. There's some scenes between him and Adam Scott in season two that are like, why is this in here? No, like, I you I, could just take this out. I and love it would I, be fine. But I love everything that's even season one about Adam Scott's. Like, I'm gonna kick his ass. <laughs> Adam Scott's like, you little fucking dweeb, oh, get out of here. What I, are you doing? I really enjoy his character because he's actually not underwritten in season well, one. Like he, like he's like a tech rich guy, but he is still a baby at heart yeah know? no and that's what's kind of like it's really tragic his character that like he's actually like a good guy yeah but it's just it's never going to be he the same fucked. between the two of them um yeah he but you know he wins in the end because adam scott is a better actor than that fucking guy yeah. that guy is just and and it's it's not entirely his fault because he is acting aside you know some of the best actors in the world but like every scene with an ensemble, it's like, oh my god, get out of here! At the dinner table with Reese Witherspoon, it's like, okay, dude, you you're gone. Like, anyway, I watched uh, a new thing as well. So, uh, strap in. It's time for Drew's not super obscure, but still kind of obscure comedy corner because Gary Goldman has a new special out um, on Habo. I told you guys about this, maybe off pod, uh, that I was really excited for this, or at least told you, Hunter, that because you were I like, don't listen to every yeah I know because because well because you you had the reaction that a lot of people would have you were like Gary Goldman is around yeah I like <laughs> you hear his name and if you even recognize it you may not know what you recognize it from and then even if you do you're like oh you mean that comic from like the early two thousands nineties that never really blew up you would think that he would just kind of like disappear uh, he has actually been in a chrysalis this whole time and now he has emerged as a beautiful butterfly he's only 49 you'd think yeah. he'd be like 60 <laughs> well yeah i mean it's not it's not as though it's just like his style a big part i think this is one of my theories one reason that he never fully blew up is this dude never figured out how to dress himself <laughs> and it, like in his old specials even like like five years ago you're like oh jesus gary like you look at it and you want to think that it's probably not good comedy but this man is really good at comedy. He's an expert joke writer. Like he is, uh, he's a testament to the craft of comedy. And if you ever listen to any interview with him, he did a two-hour episode of the Good One podcast 
uh, that was probably the best episode of that podcast ever. Like he really broke down like the the process of writing like a ten minute long story bit that he did about like Trader Joe's back in the day. Um, but he's in a, he's a really really solid comic, and this is the first special where he's ever gotten personal. Uh, because we are finally in an environment where that is bankable and like we now like to feel as though we know our celebrities and our comedians uh, even though that may never be fully true (laughs) Um, but yeah Gary this special is produced by Apatow because Apatow has been producing he's produced a few specials recently that do this thing where like it's kind of him like reaching into his past and like exploring his family life and things uh, with like cutaway scenes where like he he talk Gary talks to his mother and he talks to his girlfriend because this special is called the Great Depression and it is about Gary's uh, dealing with like near psychotic depression a couple of years ago where he ended up in a mental hospital just f- like fully like on the verge of Jeez. death yeah like just like severe severe depression um, and he like he really really opens up because this is just a guy like i said he had been around he was he's still been making a living this entire time touring there are plenty of comedians like that like someone you know you don't really know their name but they pop up in enough things example gary goldman is in joker did, did you guys <laughs> really? see him you, maybe you don't know what he really? looks like is he wearing a clown mask the he whole is, time he's the comedian that's talking about his wife he's like the first stand-up oh, that they show oh my god that is that's Gary him Goldman. yeah Jesus. like so he's been around he j- it's like wayne fetterman is another one of these types of guys where it's just like you're like who the fuck is that i do think it's fine i will just say so i just google his name and the number one person of people also search for is dane cook which kind <laughs> of it gives you an idea of when yeah. he like first he popped was, up that's yeah. why i remember him from was from like that mid 2000s yeah, like yeah he was era. on comedy central in the early 2000s and he got grouped in with that generation of bad comedy but he yeah, was don't never talk shit about dan cook he i didn't harmful say, of swallow. i didn't name a single name um but he's not a bad comic this is a really really good special it's actually not his best technical stand-up ever but it the personal element of it really works like you you genuinely feel like this is like just a a a person who is bearing his soul to you um and i was really really happy for the guy like this is over an hour long like it's almost like feature length um because there are so many cutaways i would assume the stand-up itself is probably an hour Mm. um but yeah he he gets into his past he talks about growing up in the 70s he he it's almost like you would think it's a marketing thing but like i've followed this dude for long enough that i know he's actually like this where he'll he talks about how like middle-aged men like men like him always just rag on millennials and he talks about how silly that is because like millennials are like nice to each other like you know like millennials are doing really good things and he's like yeah no i grew up in the 70s like you just like got beat up like it's all about like how growing up was just an absolute nightmare so it it sounds like uh, if audiences want to seek out a really thoughtful sobering um look into mental health and the human state of mind it's not in theaters this week well it's on hbo well it is the, it is. the end of it is a call to arms to <laughs> go to the theater and you know do what you got to do to be on the news that's all god the joker's so good <laughs> um but this this special is just great like i really really like gary goldman uh if you want a primer or even if you don't have hbo because this is exclusive uh just get on youtube and search gary goldman uh 50 states he has a bit it's a whole story about like the process behind abbreviating all the 50 states and he he did it on a few late night shows because it's like a tight five minutes it's probably like top five uh five minute acts i've ever heard in my life like it's uh, it's just unreal joke writing uh this dude's really talented he's one of those comics who uh his word choice is always funny like he's always picking a word out of thin air that you're like i forgot that i even knew that word but it made this funnier somehow he's probably a reader probably yeah exactly he's yeah yeah, he's an intellectual i mean uh brian regan does the same thing but on a lower intelligence level not that he's like dumb but like he he does the same deal pete holmes is another guy who will do that like all of his words are very well chosen and it's it's great comedy to watch like it's yeah. truly and awesome Pete Holmes will make sure you know that he knows that <laughs> well yeah that's the thing about Pete is yeah he's he's feeling himself on yeah. that but I you know I heard on a podcast uh Jack Knight 
who I was in my spotlight segment who wrote for this new season of Big Mouth, etc. He was talking about because this is like a comedian, a very young comedian who's like mean to like everyone. Like this is a really, you know, like a classic style comedian. And he was talking about Pete Holmes because like everyone rags on him for crashing and all this stuff. And he was like, this man is like a white Def Jam comedian. Not in terms of his material, but he's one of the only white people who can get a room full of people into that headspace of just belly laughing over mm-hmm. and over, which is true about Pete. Uh, Gary, uh, that's not his style. Like, this is not a special that is just rollicking with laughter. This special, I mean, obviously it gets semi-serious at times, uh, but the jokes are really, really well-intentioned uh, and well-written, and I enjoyed it a lot. Cool. All right. Great Depression, Gary yeah. Goldman, HBO. And all the other things we talked about this week on We Bought a Mic. So thanks for listening. You rock. You're the best. Uh, we love you. Please leave us a review and recommend it to your friends. And stay tuned for what we got next week. If you haven't listened to Joker Review, listen to that. Uh, I know we have the Breaking Bad movie coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jojo Rabbit. There's a bunch of things that are Mr. like Mr. America is coming out in some select theaters this yeah, week. Yeah, there, there's things that are like supposed to be coming out this month that I'm not sure will actually make it to sunny Orlando, uh, such as Parasite, The Lighthouse, things like that. So I hope we get that this month. We will see. Uh, in the meantime, just keep it, keep it wabammy, keep it cool, keep, keep it fresh. your clown mask safe. I'm doing an Keep hour close. on The Masked Singer next week, Okay, by the way. Sweet. Uh, hopefully, we will have the much-awaited succession talk that mm. we've been putting off. Oh, yeah. My God, that show is it. good. Fuck. Yeah, if you guys aren't watching Succession, just yeah. wh- what are you doing? Stop Maybe listening Lee, to this. Lee can do a, a guest appearance to talk uh, Succession, perhaps. Uh, also, The Deuce. If, uh, if any of the six people out there that are watching The Deuce... Uh, listen to this podcast. Oh, that's some news item, by the way. James Franco got sued. Yeah, yeah. I mean, watch the deuce on maybe. HBO. <laughs> <laughs> that this has like been coming back around. This is not the first time. Well, that they this has come they up. like these people said something about it. Like they said, and hey, now he there's he a lawsuit, this, and now they're suing him about it. Oh, yeah. well, shit. So good for them. But the way he talks is really creepy. The way he talks is really creepy. James Franco. Yeah, when you look at, like, his oh yeah. yeah, she says that. Right. His his voice is very creepy and in character. Well, well, it's it's Franco, so we can expect that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to the the victims. I know that he was not the best acting teacher um, and made people do very <laughs> yeah, uh, no. not okay things. Uh, so check out the deuce. On <laughs> <video>. <laughs> yeah, great on plug. Note, great plug. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye bye.